Hello and welcome into the Section 109 podcast. A little different Section 109 podcast because instead of sitting next to me, Matthew, you're across the computer from me. Yeah, this is kind of weird, man. Not going to lie. We are trying something new today. We apologize if the volume or the audio quality might not be quite what it normally is, which is means it would be terrible instead of just bad. Um, but yeah, we're trying a new thing. So let us know. Would love feedback either way. Uh, but we have a few matches, Matthew, to go over that we haven't been able to go over. So can you tell the people what four matches we have to go over? So we've got to go over the last two men's matches, uh, first of which being the uh, away to Flower City match on the 21st, uh, coming off of a two-week break after the Maryland Bobcats match that you and I attended. Yep. And we've also got to do the uh, the Memorial Day weekend Bay City's home match. Well, that's uh, only for the men. That's only two, Matthew. What about the other ones? Yeah, and then we've also got to do the first two women's matches of the young season. Let's fucking go. And, uh, yeah, and, and in chronological order, that would be uh, Flower City away, Nashville Rhythm away with the women, and then uh, I believe it reverses itself for uh, women away at Alabama FC, and then... Uh, the men's match against Bay cities at home to round out the block. But I say, let's just do women's matches first and let's keep it easy. Keep it contained a little bit. I was going to say, don't make me bounce back and forth. I got enough work. <laughs> we have 30 players last I checked. I need to count again. And we, we plan to publish later this week, the uh, definitive section one Oh nine preview of the season, AKA a preview of all the signings. Um, now that we've gotten to see them play a little bit and we've kind of got our wits about us. Sorry for the uh, no podcast here for a while. We got busy. Life got busy, but uh, we're back at least for this week. So life is life is still busy. We're just now going a little bit remote here. Yeah. Trying this and see if this works. If this works, this might allow us to get a few more podcasts. I don't know if this works for three people, but it definitely works for two people. So, all right, Matthew, um, I'll let you start. So we, we Nashville, uh, it was a way, Kind of set this, set the scene, set the stage, and let's talk about it. So we uh, first game of the first game of the regular season for the women. We go up to Nashville. I think it's on a. I think it was on Sunday night, May twenty second. And at least for me, I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, we've we've been slowly compiling some research for uh, for these for these new signings. We got a big a data dump, uh, pretty close to the the. A few days before that, before that first match, but like eight uh, signings in one announcement or 10 signings all in one some, announcement. Yeah. There was, there yeah. was, there was a lot going on there. Um, and, and, and to be frank, like sometimes it's pretty hard to know, to know what you have. Um, I mean, I, especially in those early days of the women's team or of the men's team, excuse me, you know, we, we just kind of saw what we got at the beginning of the season. There wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of research to be able to be done. There wasn't a lot of knowledge. Uh, and, and with this women's team, you know, in, in the building in the research for our, our uh, preview that we want to have later out this week, there's not as much uh, highlight videos and, and game film available for some of these players. So it's a little bit harder to know what, what we're looking at um, from a fan's perspective. And, but now we've had a couple matches. And so uh, going into the first one, uh, most important thing, honestly, straight up was the women's team's back. They're going to play a game. You know, we've got 28, whatever it is, players. Like, this is good. This is what matters. Uh, 
and, and we had heard that, that Nashville was supposed to be pretty good. Uh, and when I say pretty good, I mean, they won the conference last year. Uh, it feels like there are a whole lot of all Americans, um, in the, in the, in the CVs of those players. So, um, just hoping, I was just hoping to see, to see what we, what we had, see a little, little fight and competitiveness and, you know, we'll, we'll see where the, we'll see where the results went. And, and that first game was a challenge. Uh, I think it's, it was pretty clear watching that Nashville was the better team. Uh, they looked like they had played together before. They, uh, I mean, they, they were frankly just a better team than we were, uh, both in, both in, in defense and attack and just on both sides of the ball. And uh, I will say that we got better in the second half. I, I think Nashville was up 4-1 at halftime. Uh, our, our one goal was scored by uh, Brianna Smotherman. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure. Shout out to uh, David Mr. Smotherman's uh, yeah. cousin. And by cousin, yeah. I mean long lost cousin that neither of them have ever met each other and they're probably not actually related, but it's more fun to call them long lost cousins. Definitely more fun. Uh, I think, I, I think he's a, uh, I think Mr. Smotherman's going to enjoy that one uh, this season. Uh, and, and I really, I, all I remember about that goal uh, was that she made a big run from the right-hand side. She was a substitute in the first half, made a big run from the right-hand side, was able to round the keeper and, and, and score a nice finish uh, at, a, at a pretty tough angle. I went, I went back maybe, uh, maybe an hour, two hours before recording today to look at the goal again because uh, I was hoping to track an, an assist maker or whatever else uh, might've happened on that goal. And the, uh, the WPSL struck again. Yeah. The, this the video is uh, not great. This is a NPSL bad. Um, You know, there was an old saying that we had in the NPSL and I think this was coined by El Conductor originally, but Whoever did it, it remains true. The only way to guarantee you see an NPSL game is to go in person. Because obviously there may not be a stream, or it may suck, or whatever else. Uh, I would say for the WPSL, there is only one way to guarantee you see a WPSL game, and that's to show up. That is, better than, that is better than NISA, though, because sometimes, Matthew, you show up to a NISA game, and it doesn't happen. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway, that's yeah, a whole other topic. Uh, fuck NISA. Um, so... Back to uh, back to the game. It was rough. Uh, the game finished five one, as you alluded to. The first half was four one. Uh, I did think we tightened up in the first half, or sorry, in the second half. But man, it was rough. The good thing was it was really really good to see the girls out there. They had a real like fight, and you know they represented us well. It was just we came up against a buzzsaw, and it was first game of the season. First game, like you said, we'd ever played together, and they've played. It was pretty clear a lot of games. So I really don't want to belabor that point. Um, other than like we we got a goal, which was fun. Um, yeah, we had a good Chet Hooligan showing up there. We had a a lovely time. The, um, the I don't think the people at Father um, John Ryan knew what to do with us. And um, John Ryan, I think that was his name. So was it something like that. Father, it's just it's just Father Ryan. I think Father John Ryan's better. A little uh, throw out throwback to um, oh, what's it called? Tom Clancy. Tom Clancy has one of his characters in one of his books. Anyway, on to game number two against Birmingham. This game was five days later, four days later. So Sunday was the Nashville game. Friday was the Birmingham game. Um, 7.30 kickoff. 
I don't know why they kicked off at 7.30 Eastern or 6.30 Central. I don't know why it wasn't like 7 or 7.30 their time. But anyway, it was an Alabaster, Alabama. Um, that's uh, very white. Is that uh, what you say, uh, Alabaster? No, I was just thinking that's a uh, that's a venue change as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another another classic. I was going to try to make a joke about alabaster, but I don't know what to do with. I don't have any good <laughs> puns for alabaster, but um, yeah. So they did a venue change at the last minute, but when I say last minute, it's about two days before, which is more than I can say for Nisa. Um, it's pretty good, pretty good. Um, the pregame meetup was lovely. Uh, we had a very nice brewery, just like the pregame meetup in Nashville was also lovely. Um, yeah, good to see people. Good turnouts. A few less people. Um, at that Friday night game, especially I think because it was, uh, I, I'm assuming, I'm guessing, I was there, so I don't know what others were doing, but I'm guessing a lot of people either went out of town for that long weekend, or they had to work and they couldn't get, you know, couldn't leave in time. But it was a much improved CFC that came out in that game, a similar lineup. So let's look at the lineups differences. Okay, so the first game, Caitlin Newsom started up top. First of all, welcome back, Caitlin. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, Caitlin has went from scoring goals on me a few weeks ago. Uh, at Tuesdays on Tuesdays at HPC to scoring uh, or to playing in the WPSL. So I feel pretty complimented by that um, on the same <laughs> field as, as a legend here. And Caitlin is back for her another round with CFC women. So she played with CFC women before and the first iteration. And I am so happy to see her out there. And she started the first two games um, going from there. Uh, so they played a four, two, three, one. Um, if you guys haven't seen, if you go to the Twitter accounts, if you go to the CFC page and then the CFC women's, page so that's a game day page or cfc women's game day page cfc men's game day page um and so that gives you game day updates uh, on the women's game day updates page you can find the two lineups in nice graphic form and see the differences but up top caitlin newsom remained the starter um caminiti caitlin caminiti was also a starter uh, in the same spot four two three one on the uh i guess the the left side of that four two three one there was a change with um aguilar moving out to the wing for the second game and Marquez coming in, who she did not start the first one, and Smotherman was not on the bench or available. I hope she's not injured. I have no idea. Don't, you know, just like our men's team, the women's team so far does not release any information on player availability, injury, whatever. So we have to discover those things through sleuthing, and I've not seen anything. But no, she was not even listed as a substitute. Um, similar to how I don't think uh, Marquez was a substitute the first. No, no, I'm sorry. She was on the bench for the first game. So yeah, she just didn't start. Um, and I'll, I'll point out that's uh, that's also assistant coach, uh, Jasmine Marquez. Yes. Assistant, assistant player coach. Yes. Good call. Uh, Sierra Rutan, and I apologize if I'm butchering that. I've never heard it said, and that is my bad if I am. Uh, she started number eight in central midfield again. She was a carryover from the game before. Um, and we did not mention in the first game there was a late scratch. Uh, Sierra Bowl, um, pretty sure her name's Sierra, uh, was number 10, was supposed to start um, against Nashville. She did not start. Um, and so we did some some digging to figure it out, and it looked like Vanessa Lara started in her place. I had to go back and look at pictures because the, the weird thing about the WPSL is it's unlimited substitutions. So it's a little weird. It's pure chaos, and it's fucking bullshit. That's not our fault, but like that is such. I mean, we'll get on to Birmingham and how they treated substitutions, but man, like I, I hate it. I hate the unlimited subs. It also just to be like really selfish it makes it harder to figure out who's in and who's out because like they're constantly coming. Like players can constantly come in and out. It's unlimited subs and there is no, you can't come back. So it's just wild. But, um, your congratulations to, uh, Vanessa Lara on getting that start in the first game. I hope Sierra Bowles. Okay. I did not see, she's not on the bench in the second game. So hopefully that wasn't an injury, but you know, that that's what that 
usually is, right? If you get scratched late and then you don't make the bench the next game, yeah, usually injury or illness. So hopefully uh, she is healing fast if that is the case. Uh, Abby Gamash started number six, the second Addie. game. Addie. Addie Gamash. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Addie Gamash. Can't I get my D's and my B's confused? Um, started in the at, in central midfield. She did not... Uh, the central midfield mixed up, and we can talk about that in a minute. But the central mix, uh, central midfield quickly changed uh, in that Birmingham game, uh, and then the back line remained mostly unchanged except for one player. So Anna Lanter, returner, um, played started at right back in both games. She is captain Anna Lanter, and y'all will put some respect on Anna's name because she is an absolute baller. Dogs, I like how I have dogs in the background. You have cats in the background, and mine are, <laughs> mine's currently trying to dig a hole in the rug. Um, well, it's not that bad over here yet. It, it might get there. Uh, just where we had, just where we started recording, I heard meows. Like some, there was some hunting going on. Toby, now he's trying to dig a hole in the couch. This is great. Um, so that back line went um, via Lobos on the left side, Catlett uh, on the at left center back in the first game, right center back in the second game. Caritzales was left center back in the second game. And Avery was right center back in the first game. So basically, that was a straight swap, Avery, for uh, Rocio Carrizales and for the from going from the first to the second game, and with Analanta at right back. But that didn't. I'll, I'll point out. I'll point out just briefly here that uh, Avery Catlett and then Maddie Avery. The Avery's thing is going to get confusing for us. I have a feeling. Yeah, we'll figure it out. The that's, good- uh, that's on. That's on us to get better and learn learn those. A lot quicker. Both both center backs. Luckily, it's a last name and a first name, so we'll figure that out. Also, they, um, yeah, they they played together in that first game, but that second game, while they did play at one point at the same time, they did not play beside each other at any point. Um, because spoiler alert, uh, Avery Catlett moved into central mid, into the center of the midfield in one of the holding sixes. Um, I don't know. All let's call it ten minutes into the game, fifteen minutes of the game. I don't know. Pretty early, where she remained for most of the game. And so I'm, the the one last change, uh, and I'm gonna, I'm doing this breezy just so I can throw it back to you to talk about the game a little bit. Uh, Caroline Johnson replaces uh, Abby Sadler in goal for the the second match against Birmingham uh, or against yeah Alabama FC or whatever. Yeah, whoever um, the hell they are. FC, yeah, FC Alabama. So, <laughs> no, literally it says so, FC Alabama. So let's no, talk no, about sorry, Alabama FC. I'm stupid. Keep going. Let's talk about the game itself. Uh, because you've already made a couple, noticed a couple adjustments that happened from game one to game two. You mentioned uh, Avery Catlett going into in, into the sixth role in defensive midfield early on in the game, uh, and I'll, I'll note the score line was was zero to three. Uh, but you had mentioned uh, off off camera, off air that it was a bit of a different type of of game. So just walk me through it a little bit for those, those of us that weren't able to see it and will never be able to see it because there was no stream. Yeah, screw you, WPSL. Um, so, the I'll first I'll set the scene. It was a high school football field. Um, very good shape. Bleachers, but uh, they were just terraces, so they were just concrete. Uh, nice, very wide terraces. Very nice place to see a game. Uh, bathrooms were open. Bathrooms were in good shape. It's only on one side of the stadium. They didn't have the other ones open, which is a bummer. But it wasn't bad. That's fine. No concessions. Only a ticket booth. So thank you, Alabama, for the hospitality. But also, like, step your game up. Have at least a few concessions. Let me buy water or something. Or, I guess, make it open container, open door. You can just bring in whatever you want. But anyway. Um, so 
this game was very different uh, in a lot of ways. Number one, we looked much more like the second half of the Nashville game, where we looked, but all, in the second half of the Nashville game, we still were under it for most of that game. We were under a lot of pressure. The first half of the Birmingham game, they got the first goal, and the uh, halftime was one nothing. They got the first goal off a shot that uh, Caroline Johnson dove, tipped off the bar, so it was a diving save. The ball went up, hit the bar, and as she was coming down, it hit her in the back. I mean, just terrible luck and went in. There's nothing oh, she can man. do. Like, she's diving, she saves the ball, it hits off the bar, comes straight back down, hits her in the shoulder back area and, and rolls in. Just bad, bad luck. The rest of the half was pretty uneventful. Um, we didn't get many shots on goal. We didn't get many shots on goal all game, but the defense looked much better, and we were able to hold the ball for a lot longer spells of possession. Against Nashville, we really didn't hold the ball at all. Um, we were just, you know, all, taking the ball. They were just taking the ball and taking shots for a lot for large portions of the game. I felt like against Nashville, and that second half, I felt like could have been another few goals, but it wasn't. Uh, this one, we controlled. They had a handful of dangerous opportunities. They headed one over the bar and, you know, whatever else. But it was very much a back-and-forth game with them having the better chances, but it being a much more even game in that first half. Pretty quickly uh, into the second half, though, we kind of ran out of steam. Um, so going back to the first half, Isabel Aguilar was, for me, the standout player by a long shot. Um, she was... On the ball a lot, she was able to dribble out of pressure and pass out of pressure, and that's something we didn't do at all in that first game. Um, yeah. She was able to dribble out of pressure and pass out of pressure, and we as a group passed out of pressure much more often. Um, so that was really, really good to see. And very quickly, I don't know at what point in the game we switched, but we switched to, it may not have technically been a, th a three-man back line, um, and I don't know how to say three-woman back line, but I don't just say three-man back line, three-person back line. Anyway, I'm just calling it three-man back line. We know, we're, we know what I'm trying to say here. Um, three at the back. Three. Yeah, we immediately went, thank you, that's a better way to say it. We immediately went to three <laughs> at the back. Um, and, man, I I don't know. It really, that was, at that point, we had... Um, Caritzales in the middle. We had uh, Anna Lanter on the right at different positions because of all the subs. Like you had players changing and playing like three different positions in twenty minutes. You know, you'd have Anna Lanter playing right wing back, playing right center back, and also playing right midfielder in this. You know, depending on who subbed in. So that was um, yeah, that was where things started getting a little rough. Uh, I felt like in the second half we didn't step to the ball. Like they scored two goals in the second half. Same player. Um, and we just didn't close down quick enough. She just, she was really, really composed. And she just like took the ball, waited, like very Marcus style, like, like a composure that he always has in the box where he waits to shoot for, at the right time. She had that yep. same kind of thing and she just slotted it home. But I felt like we could have done better on those. Uh, and that's not for me to like shit on the players and make, oh, it's terrible. No, I just think there's room for improvement there. And that does make me think that like, you know, there's some room to get better. Um, which is good. I thought that we really, really in that second half against Birmingham, I felt like Avery Catlett had a really good half, and she she I felt like she had a, made a lot of plays. Um, and her and and Anna had been the two center backs for a, a portion of that second half when we conceded a lot less goals. And with Avery in the midfield, I felt like the center backs were a little more isolated. Now I don't know why um, Avery went from center back to midfield in the same game and then kind of stayed in the midfield. Um, and maybe she's not as well suited for a three. A three at the back system. I don't know how you know how Coach Randy feels about that, but I thought she was a big miss in the back there. Um, Anna was all over the place, and uh, so Via Lobos. By the way, her name is Polly. She goes by Polly, yeah. and Polly yeah. was uh, 
Polly's got some wheels, and she made a, a, quite a few solid plays, quite a few plays where she came out when we were holding possession and was able to either come back and get the ball uh, or take off forward with the ball. Didn't re- result in a lot of shots, but some things that I liked seeing. I will be very interested to see if we stick with uh, if we stick with a three at the back or if we go back to the four. Um, I really felt like with three at the back, we were just very isolated and our center backs didn't do a good enough job on the strikers. And if we're going to be that isolated, I don't think they can play a three at the back. This is one game, right? I'm, I'm basing a lot of things on one, on one game, but we didn't, uh, without getting isolated, we didn't, we weren't allowing big chances. And then once we got isolated and pushed forward, and maybe that was, we switched to a three because we needed to get wingbacks forward. We needed to get some penetration and get, get the ball into that opposing third and maybe that's why we switched and we took a risk and that's when it went it went sideways. But I also just think, so I, I mentioned subs earlier. Birmingham simply made line changes. They, every five to eight minutes, would sub out two or three players. Oh, wow. and sometimes four, but like it was two or three usually at a time. And every five, I mean, clockwork. Every, I wasn't timing it, but roughly every five to eight minutes. They probably made you know, five waves or six waves or seven waves of substitutions in the first half and the same in the second half. It, number one, it really slowed the game down. There was no ball kids. You know, Come on, WPSL, get your shit together. No ball kids at either game, Nashville or Birmingham. So when the ball would go out of bounds, um, there was a fence. So like the player would go get it, but either their player would go get it or our player would go get it. it just made the game so choppy, slowed so far down. And then those subs, I mean, they were just bringing in fresh legs all the time. And I, I feel like... The first half, they didn't really, they weren't that much better than us. Um, they were just got that lucky goal, and they were just a little bit better than us. But in that second half, I think that extra substitution thing really paid off for them, because I think we kind of ran out of gas a little bit. And even though we were making subs, we weren't making them every five minutes, three at a time. So I think they may have only had like five or six players on the bench, from what I saw. They didn't look like they had a giant squad on the bench, four or five or six, but they were just mm-hmm. constantly subbing. Um, which if you allow unlimited substitutions, Matthew, like I don't, I know I've been talking here for a minute, but I think if it were me and this is, I think unlimited substitutions is bullshit, but if it's going to be a thing, then I think, man, line changes might be the way to go. And I mean, I mean that by like you pressing and, and running yourself ragged and then just subbing three or four players out and just rotating and taking advantage of that. Because otherwise, I don't know, man, it's just got to take advantage of, of rules. And I feel like that's a, an interesting way to, and they weren't really pressing super hard, but I do think in the second half it showed with how they had more, they felt like they had more in the tank. Yeah. I think it just really depends on what you're hoping, like what you're, what you're hoping to do. Yeah. So like, and, and ordinarily I would say, yeah, you know, do all the substitutions, high pressure, uh, you know, if you, if you, if there are no ball kids and you're up one to zero, kick the ball into the trees, you know, make someone go get it, like waste two minutes finding a ball, do all those kinds of things. Uh, that's the competitive side of me coming out, but there's also, you know, look at, we're two games in now. Uh, that was the second game. Uh, we're still, we're still learning each other. I mean, we're practically learning each other's names at this point. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm so, trying to I'm trying to learn the names of all these players. Like we, yeah, we I, I mean, 30, like the players are also trying to learn each other. Yeah, each, sure, each other. And so you like you want to be able to establish some sort of chemistry, uh, and some sort of familiarity. And I think I think you know it's really hard to it's really hard to do that if you're just constantly subbing people out every five or eight minutes or whatever it is. 
That's um, fair. That's a good point. And that, and that might be that might be a good tactic once we hit. I I, I don't even remember what the uh, what kind of like playoff situation there is playoffs. Uh, but you know that that might be something once we start pushing for playoffs in a few games. Um, you know, if we can get some, if we get some results to go our way in this middle, in this middle third of the season, you start, you start playing for truly playing for keeps. But I think based on these first two games, we've got a little bit of a way to go. And, you know, we need, we need that chemistry and that, and that good play with one another before we really start going to how can we, how can we turn the screw in some matches? I think that's reasonable. I think that's reasonable. Uh, a few other standout or, or interesting individual player things. Um, I thought that Maddie Avery had a really good second half. She didn't get in until maybe 10 minutes left. Um, and in that she was playing the right side of a three. And if it wasn't a three, if this wasn't actually a three, we were playing it like it was a three. Um, I mean, three players sitting back and then kind of everyone else going forward. Um, and Polly was pushed super far forward on the left and Anna was pushed super far forward on the right, which was interesting. And then we had, um, we had Maddie on the right side of a three and her athleticism really showed. I felt like she was all over the place. She is six foot tall. Like she is a, she towers over a lot of those players. So that was great. Um, she won a bunch of physical battles and physical duels. Uh, she lost a couple too. She's young. You can see that. Um, there's a little bit of inexperience there, but yeah, that's a player with a lot of growing room, I think. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited to see. Um, I didn't think she was bad in the first game, but you know, I don't know. We were rough in the first half and everybody kind of was under it, but that's, I thought she stood out in the second half. Um, do you remember, do you remember now, uh, was which center back was subbed out and and played next to Anna Lanter moving inside from right back. Catlett did. Uh, Catlett did. Twenty three. So it so it was Avery. It was so, Avery. Uh, so Avery Catlett. Avery and and and, a, and Anna Lanter in the second half against it? Nashville. Against second half against okay. Nashville. Yes. And I thought Avery Catlett really stood out as, um, you know, making a, a lot of plays to keep that game reasonable in the second half against Nashville, keeping that from being a you know genuinely okay, a double so digits so game. Catlett. Catlett Lanter, not Avery Lanter. Got it. Yes, yes, sorry. Catlett, yeah. So Avery Catlett was the, you know, we've messed it up again. Avery Catlett, what, number 23, was who slid in. She's the defender from uh, UTC. Whereas um, Maddie Avery is, whose parents we met, shout out if you're listening, lovely people, saw them at both games. Um, or at least her dad. I think I saw her mom. I saw her dad at both games, and her mom was at the first game. Um, but she is a freshman at Maryville. She hasn't even gotten there yet. She's a high a, a senior going to... Um, senior high school going to freshman in college is my understanding. So young player there. Uh, Anna Silva, yeah. nice to see her get her debut for CFC. Um, former ball, uh, not a walkout kid, excuse me, for CFC, someone who grew up in the stands. Um, very, very, very cool. And I would say she had a nervy first couple minutes. You could see she was a little nervous. She had a giveaway, didn't amount to anything um, or a bad touch. I can't remember, but something where I was like, oh, she looks a little nervous. And then she really came into her own. Um, I don't know if she's left-footed. She looked left-footed to me when she was playing, but I didn't get, you know, she wasn't in there for uh, a super long time, and I was banging the drums, so I wasn't able to be as quite as analytical. I but, was uh, I was just going to say, in terms of players to shout out, I was going to shout her out. Uh, at, she came on in the, uh, she played a, a good stretch of the second half at Nashville Rhythm as a right oh, back. Oh, I missed that. All right, well, and, shout out for getting your debut twice. Uh, and, and I thought, and I thought she did a really, really good job. Um, uh, and, and in fact, since we're talking about, uh, since we're talking about her, uh, she did an interview with, uh, protagonist soccer 
that was just released on uh, Tuesday, May 31st. Uh, and you can go, you can go check that out. I think the club's already re, uh, reposted it. And uh, it mentions, it mentions something, you know, a, a couple of questions that we normally ask of like, you know, uh, who your, who your favorite player is, how'd you pick your number, stuff like that. And um, anyway, I thought, I thought she was really good uh, at the right, back, at the right back position. She was, she was pretty technical. She was trying to get forward. She had some combination play. So guess, uh, guess where she was playing in this one. In the Birmingham I, game. Uh, left wing back? Left side of a three. I'm sorry, what? Left center back. I don't know. She might have technically been a left back and the right back might have been pushed all the way forward, but it's, it was a three. It was a three in the back. Like She was playing the left side of that and she was isolated a lot and she she showed her her dribbling and her composure on the ball. And like, yeah, it was good. Uh, it was, she was at the outlet. They were pushing up a little bit more on that, on the, uh, I guess their left, our right and pressuring out. So she had some time and space and she was, yeah, she was good. Her and Carpenter played a good portion of that. Um, and Carpenter seemed to be playing the left wing back role with uh, her, at, with Anna Silva at, at left, uh, left, uh, left center back, excuse me. So yeah, it was fun. Interesting. Interesting. It was fun. Um, and then that's where number 19, um, Carrizales was, who, by the way, was freaking me out. Not freaking me out, but I was very, very confused because she is not listed as 19 on the roster. She's only listed as 19 on the roster card here that shows the first thing. So I was trying to figure out who it was, and I was so confused because I couldn't find a 19. So you're going to have to update the Chad Hooligan app, by the way, um, to make that match because um, she has I changed knew, her I number. Knew, I knew there was I knew there was going to be something going on she, here. She changed her number. Uh, interesting goalkeeper battle um, with Caroline Johnson getting the minutes in this one and Abby Sadler getting the minutes in the uh, Nashville game. The Nashville game was a return home for Abby Sadler. By that, I mean Abby was another. We have three players that have returned from the first iteration of uh, CFC Women in 2018. That's Anna Lanter, Abby Sadler, and Caitlin Newsom. If there's somebody else on the list, I apologize, but that's, as far as I can tell, uh, the three returners. And so, great to see her in that first game. I didn't think she really had any real fault on any, on any of the five goals that we gave up in that Nashville game. We, they were just very good. And I really didn't feel like Caroline Johnson had real fault on any of the goals. I mean, she was very unlucky on the first goal against Birmingham, and the other two was either really good attacking or poor defending, depending on how you look at it, or maybe a little bit of both. And maybe it wasn't poor defending. Maybe from my angle, it looked like they were closer or whatever else. But they were close. Like, there was good movement in the box and, like, pretty tough to save. So, well-placed um, shots. So, it would be interesting to see how that goalkeeper battle um, evolves. So, yeah, I'm excited. This weekend, um, if you're listening to this, on the weekend it was put out, this weekend the CFC women open up at home for the home opener. Let's, you know, let's pack Finley out. Let's give these... Give these ladies the uh, the homecoming they deserve. I I'm really excited. I'm nervous, right? Because like it's the it's game three of the season, the first home one, and I really want them to do well. But I'm also excited because I think that this is going to be a big a big big chance for them to play uh, to play at home and hopefully have a little extra advantage because these other teams do not. There hasn't been a single fan of any kind of these. It's all just p- parents and people. Like there's nobody with a flag, there's nobody with a drum, there's nobody cheering. It's just like parents, like you know, politely clapping or yelling about their kid or getting mad at you when you yell that that's their fourth foul in a row and they deserve a yellow card. Shout out Birmingham. <laughs> um, I was right, guy or lady, whoever was yelling at me. Somebody was yelling at me. They didn't like that I was a. Uh, well, I didn't like I didn't like that their player fouled our player for the fourth time in a row. She should have got a yellow card way earlier than that. Anyway, anything else on these first two games um, before we move on to the two men's games? 
No, I don't have anything else. Uh, it's just, uh, it's, I'm, I'm excited to see the, the development and the evolution from, from this first stretch of away games to this nice, this nice good bank of home games. Yes, two two home games in a row, or three game, home games in a row for the. Uh, you, for you know, I honestly, I honestly think it's more than that. Uh, let me pull up the schedule right now, just to make I was sure. I say I'm going to work on pulling that up as well. We've got we've got women's home games on the fourth, on the eleventh as part of a doubleheader with the men. On the fifteenth, they come thick and fast, and then we've got a home game on the twenty fourth. Uh, all. The next four women's home games, or all the next home. four women's games, are all at home. Let's go. Then they'll close the season with, uh, with the Knoxville team away, and the North Alabama uh, away on Saturday, July second. When we've also got a home game, uh, there's a stretch in here, and y'all need to get y'all need to start doing some doing some calisthenics or something, because after after this home opener on the fourth this weekend, we've got a doubleheader on the eleventh. We've got a women's home game on the 15th. The men go away on the 18th and 22nd. And then we go women home on Friday, June 24, men home June 25, and then women away in Knoxville on June 26, which is a stretch. Let me tell you. Well, I can't wait. That is going to be a really good weekend. I can tell you, I am still, my back is still sore. From so I played drums for the I didn't as I played a half at Nashville. Uh, for those that don't know, I have two broken ribs and I'm an idiot and I'm still playing the drums. Don't they don't hurt that bad right now? Everything's mostly uncomfortable. But I played on the half at, at Nashville and it, it hurt a little bit more, but it wasn't too bad. It was just like a little bit annoying. Played the entire game at Birmingham. Played Helga, and um, yeah, I I am my back is sore not from the ribs but just like the muscles I haven't used in a <laughs> hot minute. Um, so. But I, I, so Birmingham, Eric Young and I shout out Eric, if you're listening, drove down together, uh, on Friday, two and a half hours down, you know, game two and a half hours back. And then Saturday was the game again. And I tell you, there is no better way to spend your weekend than uh, back-to-back game days, but it does take it out of you. I'm yeah, well, it's coming, it's coming thick and fast. It's about, here, to, be th- so. it's about to be three in a weekend. So let's go start, uh, start drinking your tea with honey in it just to prepare your voices. Yes. All right. So on to the men's team. Uh, let's do Flower City first. Um, the last time you heard from us about the men's team, we had just won, and we did a little uh, post-game drive home from the airport update um, from Maryland. Matthew, going into Flower City, how are you feeling? Just feeling good, honestly. Uh, you know, beating, beating Maryland wasn't easy. Uh, it was the goals that we scored uh, we're, we're both um, the kind of goals you love to score and you hate to give up. And, and if I was Maryland and, and if you read, uh, if you read Jed Henderson's XG report, you know, we had the better of the chances, but there were, well, there weren't a ton of chances. And we talked about a little bit why with the weather and, and, and some things like that. Um, so you we got the two goals that were, that were, that were necessary but arguably were, were big mistakes by Maryland, which is something they've happened to continue doing for the last several weeks now. Um, so against Flower City, I was just hoping, you know, it looks like the move to wingers uh, kind of kind of keeping, if, if you think about the, the team from the, the first few game matches of the season, you've got you know, the back four as normal. You've got the holding midfielder, uh, 
that had been, had been Richard Dixon before, before he was uh, out with an injury. Uh, and you had two players kind of in front of him. Um, and then like two eights in front and then two tens in front and the shift to have kind of two, two eights in front, which could be considered tens actually at this point within wingers actually out wide. And then a moving Marcus to striker for the Maryland game. It seemed like against Maryland, it worked or was starting to to work and, and, and create a lot of interesting stuff. I think it really worked because we finally had players in the opposing third together. I think you've seen that first Flower City match at at home. We, as much as we were the much better team, we had long um, spells of the game where our possession was in the midfield, and and or if we got it up into the uh, attacking third, it was just Brett along the sidelines with the ball holding it up for one one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand, four one thousand, four players could get to him. And, you know, you'd have three defenders on him. So this move to wingers, has yeah. you see a massive difference in the where the possession's happening and where the sustained possession can happen. And I think we're just seeing that sustained possession more often, not only, but more often in the attacking third and with more bodies more that are wearing blue in the attacking third. Yeah, I definitely I definitely agree with that. Uh, and and I, I think we would have seen a little bit more of that against Maryland had the conditions been a little bit better, had... The assistant referee kept the flag down a couple times, and I think we saw. Uh, I think Maryland would eventually dropped off a little bit. I think we saw the, so going, the beginning of it. We saw the we saw the yeah, the, the fruits of the, the. We saw the fruits of it, like of the of the formation switch. It just wasn't as apparent yet. It was just little by little. So, so going into Flower City, uh, granted, uh, if you've ever listened to me or seen me on Twitter, uh, you know that I do not think highly of them. I think they're absolutely horrible. They're abjectly terrible, and it sucked to lose against them when we were the better team. Uh, But I had thought after that game that we were the better team. We probably deserved to win. Uh, But because of how terrible they are, I did not think we were creating enough. I did not think we were generating enough good chances. And I think pretty clearly Rod agreed with you. Yeah. So coming off of Maryland where where the adjustment was made to go to wingers to try to get possession and and some more dangerous parts of the field. um, I wanted to see how that continued against against flower city and i think it's pretty clear that that he liked a lot of what he saw against maryland he didn't make any there was one change made um the move to bring marcus up top he kept marcus in, in the lineup he kept brett jones and, and taylor gray as the wingers uh the the uh, role of bermudez and, and Cerro as the as the two the two, two uh the two eights or the two tens depending on how you're how we're classifying this four three three kept alex mcgrath uh, as, as the holding, the holding six, the only change that was made was dropping Nick Spielman, who didn't even make the trip uh, and bringing back Frankie Martinez uh, back for his first match since being injured and, and uh, helped off the field in the Memphis open cup match. Uh, and let me tell you this one, this one got hot and heavy real fast. You had a direct free kick goal uh, scored by Marcus and uh, like the 10th minute or so you had not long after that, uh, a great little play uh, where where McGrath got got free. McGrath playing the the defensive midfielder six role, getting ahead of getting ahead of the entire team. Oh no, let's talk a little ball. bit. Let's talk a little bit more about this goal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, also, Travis can Ward I talk about ball. can I talk about a little bit more about Marcus's goal first? Like, can we talk a little bit more about the free the kick? Free, the free kick. So there's a little part I overanalyzed the shit out of this the next day, um, as I am want to can do. confirm. <laughs> And so I watched it about, I don't know, 30 times. And so 
they they put the ball down and Saro steps up. He's the left footer, and Saro puts the ball down, and Saro steps back with the exact. Like, you know when somebody sets it down and they put their foot right beside it and they step back one two, three, and then they look up and they're really sizing it up. So you think that guy's the guy that's going to take it. And Marcus is like kind of casually steps back. He's on the, the right-footed side to take the right-footed shot. He kind of casually steps back and it looks like Sarah's going to take it. And I they, they've been having a conversation as they're putting the ball down. And then Marcus just out of nowhere steps up and bangs it around the wall where the goalkeeper probably sees the ball the whole time, but he just hits it too damn hard. But I think the goalkeeper is thinking that it's going to be Ian Saro. And I think the goalkeeper just gets caught a little flat-footed. And it is just really nice, I think, gamesmanship. I'd be interested to talk to both of them about that. But I think Marcus, the way he stepped back, he didn't size it up real hard. And I don't. I think that it looked like Marcus was the decoy and Ian was going to take it over the wall. And then Marcus just stepped up and took it real early and just absolutely owned that goalkeeper. And I thought that was a really nice bit. And I called, I feel good about it, because I called the people we were watching it with. I was like, Marcus is going to score this. And then he just, he scored it, and it was perfect. And that guy was due for a free kick goal with how good he is off free kicks. So I was very, very, very happy. And that was, I felt like the thing that um, Rod talked about in that first interview you guys did with him when um, he was freshly announced as coach, right? He said, you have to score goals in the moments that you create the big chances. And you got to score that first goal to get up. And then you have to score that second goal to make sure they have no hope. And boy, did we. So Marcus scores that first goal. I just thought it was really interesting how he stepped up and put that up together. Uh, the second goal, that Ian Saro goal, um, walk me through the beginning of that play. Or just walk me through the whole he, thing. Yeah, so you've got uh, the, the, the... So a really interesting thing that we've seen... Alex McGrath do from, from the center midfield position, but not the defensive midfield position is he likes making runs. Uh, he likes making runs forward. Uh, he picks his spots really well when to go. You see uh, in the Memphis game, the Memphis goal yeah. is because he, they are pressing and he makes the, he makes the run immediately off, off the turnover. And he is, you know, the goal. turnover that he creates. Right, right. But he overlaps immediately and is going straight for goal. And Brett makes that nice pass. Like you just see, you've seen it a lot, but you can just see it in that game in particular, that moment where that goal is created by him pressuring and then him going immediately vertically, getting deep. Yeah. So, so on, on this for the second goal, McGrath is the one that's making, uh, he's making a run. I think the ball gets recycled a little bit. And off that recycling, Taylor Gray had kind of peeled out to the sideline. And, and they're playing possession triangles along the sideline. Taylor Gray, Travis Ward, and it, it might be Frankie. I'm not sure. So the ball, uh, not not Frankie in, in that moment. I think that comes later. Uh, and so the the ball gets recycled, Taylor, back to back to Travis Ward. And so McGrath is the one that takes and fills that space. And McGrath, well, McGrath, and, McGrath takes off from yes, that. Yes, I mean, he's... From he's the Richard Dixon pretty, role, from the six, he just takes off and goes straight gone, for the goal. He's gone pretty early in that in that sequence because uh, he just saw spacing behind, went to fill it, and Travis Ward plays a great ball over over to him. And it's a it's a uh, it's, McGrath, hit with his, it's hit with his right foot over the top. It's a great McGrath ball. is able McGrath is able to get to the byline and kind of turn and look, and he's got Marcus there, and he plays in Marcus, and Marcus acts like he's going to take a shot and just squares the ball across the face of goal. And he's got Ian Ciro for the easiest tap in that you will ever see. Um, 
just a great, just a great team goal. Um, guys just knowing where to be when. And uh, very, very quickly, we go up 2-0. I think that was by far the best team goal of the game. Um, it came from a spell of possession, us keeping possession in our own third, as we like to do a lot, keeping that ball, bouncing it around the defenders. And then suddenly, our defensive midfielder, our six, I really want to make that clear, takes a run from the sixth position just straight through the defense. Travis, ahead, of, ahead of everybody. Yeah, ahead of everybody. He's suddenly the striker. Travis plays a great ball over the top. He plays the ball to Marcus. Marcus lifts up his head, does a bunch of work to draw in three defenders and the goalkeeper. And then I I watched it a bunch of times to be sure, and I am 100% sure he saw Ian Ciro coming in. That is not a shot. That is a pass. Yeah, for that's the, absolutely a pass. For, as you put it, the easiest happen of all time. And that goal made me so, so happy. So, um, yeah, let's go next to another Marcus uh, moment. So Marcus has, so far in this uh, timeline, a goal and an assist. Um, this is Marcus scoring on a Bermuda's assist. You want to set this up? Yeah, so a kind of a similar moment, honestly. Uh, Ward's able to get the ball from the left-hand side and, and play it to Alex McGrath. And this time, uh, this time McGrath takes a shot, and it's a good save by by the, the Flower City keeper, Ortega. And another time that McGrath is getting out and, and vertical and getting to the byline and that left channel as a right footer, which is always interesting. Like he's playing the deepest midfielder and then suddenly he's getting into that left forwards wingers channel and taking a shot on the goalkeeper. So the, the shot kind of creates a sequence. The, the save creates a sequence. Uh, and McGrath is able to get, an, I think, another shot on. Um, in close quarters with the keeper that it bounces off the keeper and it falls to Chris Bermudez. Uh, and Bermudez just plays a, a ball, kind of a looping, a looping square ball. He just, to, tip, he just hits it right back in the middle with his left foot on yeah. purpose, right to Marcus. And, and Marcus has enough time because flower city doesn't close him down quick enough. He's got enough time to let the ball settle nicely for him. Picks his spot uh, on, on the ground, keeps it low, just bangs it home. That was probably 30, 36 ish minutes in. It would, you know, maybe, or maybe 20. I don't know. It happened. It happened pretty fast. There were four goals in the first half. And um, just really, you know, really good team play. Uh, I tried to give Alex McGrath the hockey assist uh, and, and have been informed that you can't give, you can't give a hockey assist. Not for, on a shot like that. Get out of here. For, for a shot before the pass. Uh, you do give assists for, for shots that are saved into the path of somebody else, but not a, not for, not for a shot that is the pass before the pass. Um, we got three, three nil up, you know, then there's, then there's the fourth goal, you know, maybe 40th minute or so in the, in the first half, uh, just really good combination play between Brett Jones and Marcus Nagelstad. Uh Nags plays in Jones who um, has a fairly similar pass than the one he gave for Alex McGrath in the Memphis game. Uh, just kind of lets him, puts it a little bit into space in behind. And Nagelstad continues his run after making the first pass, a little give and go, and just buries the shot low in, into the far corner. Four up, Marcus got a hat trick. You know, it's the simplest. And, 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 we're, and, we're, and we're home free already. It's the simplest little give and go in the best possible way, right? Like it's just, it just comes off perfectly and like every bit of it's like, Oh hell yeah. And it just, they made, 
it's not an easy play because obviously there's plenty of defenders around, but they made it look easy because it was just perfectly timed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just, you know, and, and this is the kind of thing that, that we really wanted to see. It was a kind of improvement on the Maryland game. It was, it was definitely, uh, we, we created much more, more dangerous opportunities against flower city this time around. Um, much more dangerous uh, and, and guys were in, in better positions to finish and then did obviously uh, did obviously finish, finish those chances. Uh, and then honestly, we had a couple of more chances too uh, in, in both halves that could have been, that could have made the scoreline even, even more, even more brutal. Uh, Flower city gets goal. It's kind of a banger late in the first half. Uh, Probably should have done a better job clearing the ball or, 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 you know, getting sticking a foot on it or something like that. But it's just an absolute banger, low percentage chance. And, and he's falling down when he hits it too. Yeah. It's and, just a really then, good shot. And then in the second half, you know, it's pretty, uh, I'm not going to say it's boring. Uh, I mean, the game's done. We're done and dusted. We're not, we're not really doing anything. Um, just trying to, just trying to maintain probe a little bit, see what happens. We made a couple subs. Um, and, um, Ale earns a, Ale earns a penalty, um, goes by the keeper and keeper takes him down. And if keeper hadn't taken him down, he was going to round the keeper and, and, and score a goal. So I'm not sure he Mark, get, I'm not sure he gets to that ball. He gets to that ball. Don't you worry about it. I'm don't, not, don't you say bad things. I'm not saying he doesn't get to the ball. I'm just saying, I'm not sure he gets to the ball. It doesn't matter <laughs> because he did not have a chance to get to the ball because the keeper absolutely just kicked him in the shins and took his feet out. Um, what did you think of the little uh, exchanging of words? Um, you know, it looked like him and Marcus talking about who's going to take the penalty. Then Marcus finally taking it. I think it's just two players trying to be competitive here. That's it. Yeah. I was also a couple, I was also probably a couple high noon steep at that point. So, uh, so I was I, celebrating the win a little early. So I loved it. Um, I love competitive drive it. And, and what I did notice is after Marcus scored the penalty, um, his fourth goal of the game immediately, Ali was the first player to him. They had their arms around each other. They obviously looked like they were like bygones were bygones. No one was angry is what it looked like to me. Good body language, but also like I want guys to want it right. And I want guys to want to take the penalty and I don't want to see an argument at every penalty. Like I want, I think Marcus needs to be taking all the penalties, but I'm glad that I want to see guys want it. Right. Like I want to see guys, and I'm okay if guys are, a, like debating who gets to take the penalty or the free kick or whatever, because I want guys that want it. And and I thought that was a good sign. And I also thought it was really good because it, they're at, as soon as the, the play happened, the entire team comes together and then they, they end up walking back basically like arm in arm back to the center circle. So yeah. obviously there wasn't any bad blood there. So love it. Great play from Ali to round the keeper, um, which uh, it's going to happen in, uh, spoiler alert in the Bay cities game as well. So, um, yeah, I like, I like that. And I thought we generated a lot of good chances in the second half. We just didn't, um, convert them. But also if you look at Jed's XG, he had four as it was at like four and a half, roughly four and a quarter. Um, it was maybe 4.35. Anyway, what matters, it was above it was between four and five and we scored five goals. Um, it is very rare. You get an XG of four plus in a game. That's extremely rare. So getting five goals and getting an XG of more than four is just shows how dominant we were, and they had less than half a goal for their XG, and even though they scored a goal, so I think it was down. I think it was down below below point two five. Honestly, like yeah. it was it was low. I remember it being point three, but it doesn't matter. Point being is they didn't do shit, and we absolutely dominated every bit of that game, and it was really really good to see that, and I was really happy to see that. 
yeah, it was a massive, massive momentum game. Uh, good to get goals, like a lot of goals on the score sheet, like some good goals, good combination play, not just, not just, a, 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 you know, like the two Maryland goals where a guy falls down in the box and, and kind of redirects the ball straight to us or an Olympico type type thing. Like it was good to score real, real goals. I also think we and, clearly took it personally. Um, the lo- losing against yeah. Flower City at home, I think the guys yeah, took that personally. I would. I and would. they should. They should because that was not a good loss. But like, I think the boys took it personally because you look how uh, how bad we smacked them around in that uh, game up there. And I expect a, a more of the same for a lot of teams in this league. Yeah. So coming back, coming back to, to Chattanooga and then, you know, getting ready for the Bay Cities match, the the number one, it's great to score five goals. It's great to, to have a, you know, expected goals of 4.35 in that match. Uh, but the thing I was most curious about was, is that a sustainable, can, can that be replicated against a team that's not named Flower City Union? Because I say again, Flower City Union is terrible. They're awful. They're bad. They're horrific. So coming in, could we do something better uh, against Bay Cities? Better, and, better than what we did against Flower City? Unlikely. Uh, no, but, but like, can, can, can the progress that we've made, obviously from one Flower City game to the other, which is the only comparable data we really have. Yes. Playing a, a little bit different shape, playing a, a little bit different tactics. The, the the quality of chances, the amount of chances drastically increased. Was like was that going to be something that continued uh, against a team that I thought was going to be uh, a bit of a challenge? I figured Bay City would want to come out and play a little play a little ball on the ground, kind of like we do, and they and they did. But they were also coming off of uh, this was going to be their third game in, in eight days, and you never know how how that goes. And and I think and going straight into the Bay Cities game, I thought I thought we handled the test pretty well. Uh, there were a couple of there were a couple of rough moments in the second half, but you know Taylor Gray gets a hat trick, uh, and 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 Breezy is happily licking licking his wounds here, uh, talking talking smack all week. Listen, I just said I, I listen. Taylor Gray missed a tap in, and it wasn't the first time he's missed a tap in. And so I asked a sarcastic question: Is does the guy know how to score? And he answered me without me having asked that question out loud to him because he scored three goals and made me look like a real asshole, which is not the first time. And I love it. And I am it's so good. So good. It was awesome. So Taylor Gray's first goal comes in about the seventh minute. Um, really nice ball in by Brett Jones, kind of over the top. All Taylor has to do is just hit it down and, and into, the, into the goal. And he does. Uh, that, by the way, you can score that as an Ian Cero secondary assist. There was a lot of really good combination play uh, in that in that stretch there. Uh, you know, Tate Robertson was over there. McGrath was on that side. Sarah was on that side. Brett Jones was on that side. Uh, Richard Dixon was over there as well. They're all just, there was a little bit of passing the ball in and around. And it's finally Sarah that that's, it plays it for Jones, who then plays it over the top. It's a great ball. And a, and great, and a, good, there, a really good finish. I mean, just, he, he just then, elevates right above him and doesn't let the guy that's right in front of him... Um, like put him off, right? A lot of times you see a guy that's like with the, with the players right in front of him. Maybe they just are a little off on their jump. Nope. He was just right there and ready and just was a tapping with his head. It was very good. Yeah. From there, I think the game calms down a little bit. There's not a really a lot of clear opportunities for either scene, uh, for either side. Uh, until right at the end of the half, um, there was a big, big chance 
uh, created by Travis Ward uh, crossing a ball into Marcus Nagelstad that he puts in the back of the net with his head. Uh, ruled to be ruled to be out of bounds uh, before Travis Ward was able to, to, to cross it in uh, by an assistant referee that could not see it, quite frankly. Uh, does not He does not have an angle on it. He still makes the call. It's from the guessed. far side of the field. Yeah, I, I watched the highlights a bunch of times, and I can't tell. It, it, look, if we're being real honest, it could have been out of bounds. That is within the realm of possibilities. I don't think it was, though. I don't think it no, is. And and I, I see that uh, CFC posted a, a kind of an image of it, and it's that thing. That thing's that ball's that ball's still in, man. Okay, so. I haven't seen the image. I just watched the highlights. But yeah, either way, it's a it's it's nice to, and it just felt like last year a lot of times we would score a goal that would get called back or something, and then uh, we would kind of crumble and not be able to create any more chances. And in this game, it just didn't matter. We we didn't get that call that we should have got. And we didn't crumble. We went out and scored three more goals. Yeah, so so Marcus's penalty, uh, he earns it himself early in the second half. Uh, in fairness, we kind of make a we kind of make a meal of that whole play for a while. Uh, should have probably scored it earlier on. But Marcus does a great job. He, like he gets control of the ball. He does a couple moves, you know, trying to trying to find some space and defender takes him down, scores the penalty like he usually does. And this is where things get interesting. Uh, because one of the, the tactical changes that I noticed uh, from first half to second half is Bay City's really put some numbers forward. They were they were on the ball more early on in the in the second half, really of the first twenty five minutes I think at the second half. Uh, they had they had more numbers forward. They were a little bit more in control of the game, and this became a problem because they were trying to get back in the game, obviously. Uh, and you know the the Marcus penalty. Uh, goal comes off of a sequence where uh, Bay Cities has committed numbers forward and we're able to counter on them. Um, and it does take a penalty for us to actually put that second goal in. And then third goal, same kind of thing. Not too long after that, roughly the roughly the 60th minute, 58th, somewhere in there. Uh, Brett Jones gets a nice outlet pass, plays it forward to Marcus, who's peeled out to the right-hand side. And Marcus just plays a great ball in behind, and it's across I think it's, the across I, the field. I think it's basically first time as well, like or it's pretty early. Like it's a it's Pro- su- probably second, probably second touch. It might. It, I mean, I may be confusing. There's another first time ball that he played to Brett that was excellent that didn't result in anything. But um, like anyway, the the point being is like it was a beautiful play across to Taylor, and he was just in acres of space, just wide yeah. open because, like you said, they were basically was pushed up, and that was the perfect way to take advantage. And it goes back to having wingers, a thing we didn't have at the beginning of the season. We didn't have these numbers. When teams were pushing up, we didn't have these numbers up front to exploit, and we exploited it to the max. I mean, all three, yeah. uh, two of Taylor's three goals are almost on the break, or at least partially on the break in transition, and against a team, and, in, and marks his penalty, we're in transition because we're yeah. catching a team out, keeping the ball, or putting the ball into space, or whatever, and it's just it's taking advantage of moments, and I think we're doing that just so much better than we were those first three games of the season. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. All you know, those those last three goals in that game are all are all considered. I, I would consider counterattacking goals. And so and he finishes that ball with his left foot. Um, he rounds, he rounds the keeper, the, rounds the keeper. Yeah, which was awesome. Um, always love to see that. Came over, celebrated in front of one uh, one ten, one eleven. Um, great, great scenes. All the vibes, all the good vibes. Uh, and then things get a little. Uh, a little interesting, a little um, heartburning. 
Yeah, KG punches the ball. Uh, you know, Bay City keeps the numbers forward. They don't. They don't just commit to losing three zero. They keep. They keep throwing numbers forward. Cross comes in. KG punches it away. Right to Edson Cardona makes a great, brings a great touch. Honestly, to, to get the get hold of the ball and shoots it. Wicked deflection. KG can't keep it out. Uh, and we make a couple subs af- after that point. Try to try to you know change the game a little bit. Uh, Luke Ferreira comes it's, on for his for, second appearance. It's Ferreira and um, Damian. Yeah, Luke Ferreira comes on for Nagelstad. Uh, Damian comes on for Brett Jones. Uh, two minutes after, three minutes after that, um, uh, I think there were I think there were a, a litany of problems with the, with this goal. But Bay Cities is able to get the ball, carry the ball into the box, and then cross it back to the top of the box in a first time hit. Uh, we go to three two. And let me Sorry, tell I'm you, about right a cough there. My butthole was clenched real tight. Um, yeah, I was I was pretty uh, I was pretty angry and nervous at a uh, at a dinner. That I that I was at in uh, in in New Orleans, and I didn't see either of those goals because I was uh, I was capoing, so I had my back to the uh, to the field, and I was like, "Are we crumbling?" Uh, but it turned out we were not. I've gone back and rewatched, and you know, those were two. They they were definitely better, right? Bay Cities was better than they were in the first half. They were really pushing numbers forward, but we didn't we didn't close up shop. We didn't crumble. We had some bad luck and a and a, a little bit of bad play on that one um, for them to work it around and get it, but we limited the damage there and then went down and got was, that fourth goal. Yeah. I was legitimately a little bit worried for a stretch. So I was for the very same reason worried. You were, but they didn't really create anything else after that. Like there was, there wasn't anything that serious and they're still putting pressure on, you know, they're a good, they're a good team in possession. They, they really work it in. Um, another ball comes in. This is 80th minute for the fourth goal. Ball comes in. Collins dribbling just clears it. Uh, and he's, he's clearing it deep, and it's toward Luke Ferreira. And Ferreira just takes on two guys, uh, wins the header, you know, takes it forward. He's free and clear, by the way, at this point. And they're pulling uh, it. They're pulling him back, too. Ferreira just wanted it more. If you watch the replay, there's a dude who's got his arm interlocked with Ferreira and, like, trying to pull him back. And Ferreira's just like, fuck you, I want this more. Because, you know, he heads the ball down and pushes it forward and does all the hard work there uh, against two guys that I guess just didn't want it as much because he just took their lunch money. Yeah, and I, I think, honestly, so Ferrer's like it w- is able to win the header and he pushes the ball forward. And I think on grass, he might be clear in for a one-on-one with the keeper. Uh, but the ball kind of holds up in the turf a little bit. Uh, he slows down. The, the two guys recover. And then a really fascinating sequence happened. Damien's making a run on the right side. And Luke kind of orients his body uh, like he's going to you know, square up his hips to be able to pass the ball to Damian on the right-hand side to continue the play. Yeah, he clearly shapes and, himself that way. Like He's going to pass it if you watch his and, hips. And it freezes, it freezes the, uh, one of the defenders who's closest to, closest to Ferreira. And that second defender is already like, you know, looking at Damian trying to that get sec- in position. That second defender actually takes four steps. He starts immediately running towards Damian as Luke turns his body to shape it. That defender was right alongside, right in front of him. And he starts, he just jets out to stop the run of Damian as he turns his hips to the right. And then surprise, surprise, where does he go with the ball? Back heel to Taylor Gray. On the left. Uh, on the onrushing Taylor Gray. Uh, takes his first touch and then he hits his second touch and just puts that thing in the roof, the net. Uh, great finish by Taylor Gray. Well-deserved hat trick. And it's 4-2. Game's over. Bay Cities is done. 
they've got nothing else for the for that backbreaker. And that's such a good uh, finish. But that goal is created uh, by by two things. Uh, Damien gets a little bit of credit right for making the run, getting up there. But ninety percent of that goal—that's uh, not quite fair. Eighty. 80% of that goal, 15% of that goal is the finish from Taylor, which is a very good finish. 5% of the goal is the run by Damien. And 80% of it is that fight from Luke and then the turn the hips and then the back heel to put Taylor into space. I mean, it's just, it's so good, man. Every bit of that, and I'm, I'm not taking anything away from anyone. I just think like Ferrer was that good on turning something into, or nothing into something or something into, you know, a big chance. And yeah, hell yeah, yeah man, it was awesome. Uh, and you see it, they, to, they, they hug, they hug immediately. Taylor runs around the back and he comes out pointing both fingers at Luke and they have a big embrace. And I just, you know, I, you, you know, I love team celebration. So I loved seeing that. One thing I think we, we should have pointed out before we started talking about the Bay cities game, um, lineup fairly unchanged to the starting lineup between, between flower city and Bay cities with one notable change. Captain Richard Dixon's back in the lineup at the six and, Alex McGrath moved into one of those uh, one of those center midfield positions. The left in side front, of the center midfield. Replacing uh, Chris Bermudez, who had been on that left side in that left channel. And Ian Saro stayed on the right in that right channel. Now, why is uh why is it interesting that Ian is playing on the right and McGrath's playing on the left? You just want to talk about inverted center midfielders here. <laughs> yes, uh, there's a. I'll answer my own question. There's a left-footed player playing on the right side and a right-footed player playing on the left side, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it is weird. It is different. It is not normal, and I think it's very, very fun. Yeah, I I think it's just I I think Rods is trying designing that where Ian Sierra is most comfortable in that right channel, uh, being being the left footer, being able to cut in and and, and kind of play play that way. Zero mm, uh, line. I think Cyril it, lined up when he was the left side when he, when he was the ten, with eights and tens. Uh, he was lining up sometimes. You know that that ten position was sometimes playing as a winger, sometimes playing as a ten. He was lined up in that right channel as well. Uh, so I think I think Cyril's just comfortable in, on that right side a little bit more, and he's playing out there more. Maybe that might be part of it. That probably is part of it. But I want to put another theory there. Alex McGrath in the which we just talked about the Flower City Union game where he makes the run from deep. What channel does he make it in? It made it in the left channel. Yeah. I think Alex McGrath is very, very comfortable on that left side in that left channel. I think it might be both players. I think Alex McGrath is incredibly comfortable anywhere you put him on the field, if we're being honest. Yeah, I'm not saying he's not comfortable in the right channel. What I'm saying is I think he might be even more comfortable in that left channel. I have to ask him. But he looks uh, to, to default to that channel quite a bit. And yeah, that... And when we're saying the channel, we're talking about like if you look at a four three three and you look at the left side where the left side at eight or ten plays that central midfielder that there all the way up to the top, all the way up to the other goal, he just runs all the way through that channel, uh, whether he's playing as the six or whether he's playing as the uh, one of the eights. So I thought that was very interesting. I also thought the guys in these two games did a ton of interchanging among the three of them. You saw Ian Saro as the deepest midfielder. Um, quite a bit. You even saw Richard Dixon pushed forward pressing with Ian dropped in some. Um, Ian, Richard's definitely a little more static than McGrath was. McGrath was very much all over the place um, in that uh, in the Flower City game. But against Bay Cities, Richard still was up the field and around a lot. And you just saw the three midfielders playing all three positions, that positional type soccer where they can play. You have to be able to play well with your feet and you have to be able to play any position. And I thought that was really good. The interchanging we kind of saw uh in earlier on in the season 
those first three games we talked about, and at some point we have to do what we got right and what we got wrong episode. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of some of the predictions we made at the beginning of the season was that the eights and tens, before the tens were wingers, the eights and tens would interchange a lot. Um, and they did. They interchanged a ton early on in the season. We're not seeing much interchanging between the eights and the tens. Uh, they're making different runs and overlapping runs, but they're not interchanging much. They're not switching places. Whereas the sixth, which was Richard Dixon, who was kind of not moving at all. I mean, by not moving, I don't mean not making plays. I mean just staying in that one little circle in front of the defense and like really just being that anchor. He's now moving all over the field a lot more, and those eights are going side to side, sideline to sideline, all over the place, switching sides, going everywhere. And we're seeing a lot more of that interchanging happen amongst the... Outside back some, but the the sixes and the eights are just, you know, doing the roundabouts. And I yeah. love it. I think yeah, it's very and unpredictable. And other than I think you see it not work out as well as you'd hoped on the that second goal um that we concede, because I think we're a little outnumbered on that side. And I'd have to go back and look at it. We might not be out of position, but it feels like we were outnumbered, so we probably someone was out of position. But in general, I think it's allowed us the counter press to work well, where we've pre or not maybe not the counter press, the press off of a turnover to work well when they our press because players are able to fill in positions as opposed to there being big open spaces. If somebody leaves, you know, we're pressing pretty efficiently um, and turning the ball over regularly uh, and filling in those other positions. And then also we're just interchanging enough. So they're not creating these extra chances uh, because somebody has gone to make, try to make a play. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. Um, there were some moments, there were some moments where especially Alex McGrath likes to, likes to pressure. And Ian Sarah would fill in uh, as like the deepest, the deepest, almost like creating uh, deep line playmaker type position so that Alex McGrath could go two way. This is when Richard wasn't playing in the Flower City game, uh, taking advantage of like, we don't really need a destroyer uh, in the middle of the field because Flower City is just bad. So we were able to use the extra number to overload uh, and create some nice moments. I also think the move to wingers uh, has. I think has taken some pressure directly, put it directly on some of like the back lines of some of these defenses and allowed the midfield to have more space. Uh, and that's yes. allowed guys like Ian Cero and Alex McGrath to be able to, whether it's using passing or dribbling, be able to, to, to have some space to create a little bit more, a little bit more time. They are not able uh, that. I, I think, I think it's been lacking. And then we've been able to, to also solidify still having numbers in midfield by, something that we talked about a lot in the off season that I did not see much early on where the, the outside backs pinch in when the ball's on the other side of the field. Uh, I think we've seen a lot of that more recently uh, in part to, you know, Tate being a, being a, you know, an outside back and a lot of times last year, a, a defensive midfielder uh, naturally coming in there to help out. And then Travis Ward at now the, the new left back, uh, switching, switching outside back positions. He's naturally right footed. And, and he, he tends to, especially in possession tends to help out. I think in that, in that channel uh, a little bit more. So that's been really interesting to see, but we'll have to do a, a full scale, a full scale tactics spot about what we, we made so many prognostications and then, you know, some of them were right, but some of them weren't. Definitely. Definitely. Well, if, if this new format works for us, maybe we'll end up doing a few more of these on zoom and maybe we'll crank out a few more. Uh, this week, maybe get that uh, that done. We'll see what happens with that. Um, so yeah, four two fireworks after the game. Good fan attendance. I think it's twenty eight hundred people. Felt like more. Um, I know that we say that a lot, but felt like more. It felt really good. Um, 
it was looked sparse when the game started, but I think people were a little bit late arriving, and you know by the twentieth minute or so, it was a uh, it was good. So yeah, I had a I had a blast, and I can't wait for the women's home opener this season or this uh, weekend, excuse me, and then the doubleheader uh, a week from that on June eleventh. Matthew, is there anything else left we need to talk about with these four games? I was just going to point out uh, briefly that we've now played six games for the men in the uh, in the NISA portion of the season, four uh, one and one. Uh, for 13 points, that puts us on top of the Eastern Division. Hey, did we talk about uh, why we have three extra points? Oh, God, no, we haven't. We have not talked about that on this podcast. So, um, Matthew, uh, we let's not go too long, but go ahead and do your victory lap. Okay. Um, let me stretch my legs. Let me uh, cough a little bit into the mic. Get my voice warmed up. I told you so. I fucking told you so. Everyone laughed. Everyone laughed. Where did you tell us so? I told you on the internet. I told you that there was no chance in hell that Valley had put together a roster that was compliant uh, on on NISA rules, on U.S. law. And uh, I think a few people actually believed me because I've got a reputation of being right. But uh, the league definitely did not believe me. Uh, and any, if anyone from the league is listening... Yeah, I fucking told you. And there's more out there too. So just start doing a little research on Albion, for example. Um, you know, and Cal United. Cal United's probably. No, fine. I'm sorry, not Let's Cal not United. I apologize. I apologize, Cal United. LA Force. Oh well, yeah, but Bob just signs the paycheck, so they got to be careful about LA Force. Uh, but yeah, like Valley was using, uh, uh, 100% using tourist visas, which has been a practice in this league that is pretty well known. Uh, a lot of teams do it because they because NISA is you know, unable to get professional uh, P1 visas for players. Uh, it affects how teams put rosters together uh, from top to bottom. Does not matter. Uh, it affects how we put together a roster. We've had to adjust over the, over the last few years. Uh, but if you can just use a tourist visa and play in a professional league, which is a flagrant flagrant violation of U.S. law, uh, but teams do it anyway because the league looks the other way because they're a bunch of chumps uh, and run or pretty and frankly run a shitty league. We've talked about this on this podcast before. Um, but Valley got caught owner thought that uh, the owner thought that, that uh, his, his team personnel were stealing from him using cash advances. Uh, and it turns out that that Valley was also skirting roster rules um, to be able to have all these foreign players and all and listed as amateurs or to have them not listed as amateurs by using fraudulent green cards submitted to the league in U.S. soccer. I'm sorry, what? Fraudulent green cards. Fraudulent work authorizations. You it's mean, incredible, honestly. You mean f- they, they submitted fake green cards? Correct, yes. That doesn't yes. seem like it's possible, Matthew. How could they? That's some fucking shit, dude. Also, that's some... Yeah. Uh, I wonder if anyone's going to jail for that, by the way. I think there are two people that... Uh, that should be in very, I, I, well, two people have lawyered up. We'll put it that way. Uh, and they're both, they're both no longer with Valley United. Um, but they, yeah, they wanted to, they wanted to, to put together a team and, and win so bad. And they couldn't, they promised a bunch of P ones and they couldn't get them. Uh, and by the way, I heard that Valley was, you know, had pre- basically promised the league that if they couldn't get P ones or couldn't use inter- uh, international amateurs, that they were just going to, you know, not play this year all of a sudden. So of course the league just took it. Uh, but this is what you get. Uh, I'm 
using freight green cards is incredible. Uh, and that's a new one. And I'm a little bit like in awe and about ready to applaud the, the sheer audacity. To, to, yeah. Like that's incredible. Uh, but I told you so I knew I, I told you so. So, yeah. So uh, the outcome of all of that, Matthew was right. Uh, he's very happy about it. Um, but what matters is the because the the stuff was reported to the league by the owner, who is not the first owner. He's the second owner. So uh, when he reported the things to the league, like, hey, something's going on at my team. I, you know, something's weird here. Some weird cash things going on. And they started digging. They found out cash payments were happening to people on tourist visas. And then they found, which is violation of immigration law. And then they found out that there were fake green cards and cash payments being made to those players as well. So. Uh, the Valley United has been forced to forfeit all six of their games played, which gave us uh, on whenever there's a forfeit. If you don't know this in soccer, it's always three nothing. Um, so we got a three nothing win. A zero zero draw became a three nothing win, and uh, a lot of people got some three nothing wins. But we got uh, two more points, and we are now after our win against Bay Cities, top of the Eastern Division. Or conference, yeah. or whatever the fuck we're calling this thing. Yeah, it's it, it's so it's a really good place to be in. Uh, you've got the draw, the first, the first game draw against Maryland, with the uh, forfeit against Valley. You've got four wins out there, uh, and the one loss, a completely fluke loss to Flower City Union. Uh, so we, I mean, you got to feel pretty good about where we are right now. Uh, and there is some. Um, you know, we've only played six games. Uh, Michigan Stars have only played five, uh, and technically they've only actually played four soccer matches, but because one of those is Mi- a, is Michigan a Stars has a forfeit against uh, Syracuse. Yeah, but, you know, we're, we're two points clear of Maryland, and we have two games in hand on them. Um, Syracuse is six points behind with the same number of games played. Uh, and remember, we've got, a, we've got a makeup game coming against, against Syracuse. Um, which is not public yet, but it's going to be spoiler alert attached to the flower city road trip that we do in July. And, you know, flower city has played four more games than us and we've got seven more points than them. Uh, so a really good place to be in the, in the East. And, and frankly, that's, that's what we have to worry about. Yes. We just played a West coast team in Bay cities. Yes. We have eight more West coast teams to play uh, four on the road and four at home. And, but like our bread and butter is, is, is done in the East. And yeah. I, I have not, I don't, Nisa's put out, I believe their, their qualifications for how the playoff structure is going to work. But the most important thing we can do is just win the East. Um, that's the most important thing. I agree. And, 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 and the, let the chips fall where they may. Uh, currently Bay cities has played four more matches than we have. And they're sitting on 14 points, just one more. Um, and our, our West Division leader is Cal United with eight games played, and they're at 22 points. Um, so we'll need, we'll need some help at some point. Seven wins and a draw there. Um, but, you know, that's how, that's how this works. So really good, really good position for, for the men's team right now in, in, the, in the standings. Obviously, the women's team with, with two losses in the first two games got a little bit of work to do. Uh, but we've also played... I think, I think the, the the two best teams in the division so far, so in the conference. So we'll see what happens uh, Saturday at home for the women. Big match, huge match, and then we'll have a week off and then double header. Can't wait, can't wait. Well, Matthew, thank you for jumping on here with me to talk uh, 
Monday morning quarterback review type of thing. I don't know. We tried to name this episode, but it's been a while. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fun this weekend. These home games are coming thick and fast. Um, sorry, everybody, that the podcasts are not coming so regularly, but it is uh, hard to juggle the season and podcasting. So hopefully we will get a better handle on it going forward. But um, until this weekend, Matthew, I bid you adieu. And uh, hopefully we'll see the uh, women's team get their first win this weekend at home. And if you don't know what you're doing Saturday, I do. Come into the come into the game. Come out and tailgate before the game. It's going to be a blast. Anything else? That's it. All right. Catch you guys later.